นโมทัสสะกุฏฐระตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกุฏฐระตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกุฏฐระตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดมังสังขังนมัสสะอุปถัมภ์ก็คือเป็นผู้ปกครองหรือเป็นผู้ปกครองหรือเป็นผู้ปกครองหรือเป็นผู้ปกครองหรือเป็นผู้ปกครองหรือเป็นผู้ปกคร
tradition that goes all the way back to the time of the Buddha where the senior Sangha members would uh, teach the junior Sangha members by living close with them. In fact, the word that is used for the the attendant or for the Upatak is a uh, sadiviharika, that is one who lives along with the way of transmitting, transferring benefit and training and uh, sadiviharika, one who lives along with, actually literally lives like on the porch or something uh, of the, uh, the teacher. I don't make Venerable Sudamo sleep on my porch, which he's, um, of course, pleased about. But I think it is a, it's a fortunate thing, a beautiful thing, that uh, in our tradition, Ajahn Chah has uh, encouraged uh, maintaining this, this mode of instruction. And in so doing, giving us the opportunity to learn how to care for each other. And, and this... The conversation I was referring to, uh, the abbot of one of our other monasteries had uh, told me how he'd had a young monk turn up there who'd come from a tradition where there was just meditation emphasized, solitary practice in your kuti, off on your own, doing your own thing, busy getting spiritual. And when he came to Ajahn Chah's monastery, he wasn't used to this community style of practice. There's a lot of emphasis on, on paying attention to how we can um, benefit each other and support each other. Um, mm-hmm. the cultivation of the sense of spiritual community. Uh, this is a place for solitary practice, but also for community practice. And What happened in this case was this young monk, uh, I guess, probably offered a bit of resistance when he was invited to do uh, attended duties with the abbot and but after he'd been doing it for a while, he, uh, off his own bat, came to visit the abbot and, and made a point of expressing gratitude. And he just hadn't thought there'd be any advantage, any benefit in doing attendant duties on, on waiting on somebody else. You know, why can't the abbot look after himself? Why does he need somebody to be taking care of him? And, Well, there's the the spirit of surrender when we experience it. Uh, It is a beautiful thing. And that beauty gives rise to gladness. However, we are also aware that in the process of experiencing, of, of, of receiving or of giving, caring, we can become very attached and that can uh, lead to difficulties. We clearly value uh, caring. Uh, It's important to us. But nobody likes suffering. So the question arises, is is it possible to really care without becoming attached? Can we care without clinging? We care about this planet that we live on. But then, if we're not really alert, really aware, if we're not really wise, we end up uh, becoming feeling hateful towards 
those people we perceive as exploiting this planet, abusing this planet. Yeah. We have this thought we were being loving and caring towards planet Earth, and then we end up getting all aggressive. Or maybe there's some principle that we deeply care about, and then we end up getting aggressive and caught up in a heated argument, uh, even becoming uh, unkind or hateful towards somebody who just disagreed with us. So, so this can be a significant issue for us, uh, how to live with caring, a caring heart, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Do we have to get attached and suffer? And, and we're probably all familiar with the what gets said sometimes when you lose someone who was dear to you. Somebody dies and he passes away and, and we're told and say, well, suffering is the price you've got to pay for caring about somebody. I say, well, I don't know when I hear that, I think, well, there's kind of not a very attractive option there. You're either caring and suffer or cold-hearted and don't suffer but you suffer another way suffer from being cold-hearted well none of that sounds very attractive so how can we approach this or you could be using concepts out of psychological journals theories that have been explored and human relationship and what's going on projection and so on or or we could uh, another situation could be dialoguing about what's going on in this relationship but in the context of our spiritual journey how do we pick up a painful uh, issue like this how do we contemplate it Well, well we can have this conversation because we've all learned how to think straight. You know, we can all use concepts. We're all skilled in thinking. To some degree, we're skilled in thinking. Yeah. Yeah. We know how to manipulate concepts. We have a concept of caring, what that means. Yeah. Or clinging, or non-attachment, detachment, uh, dissociation. We have these concepts and they're all slightly different. So we can be very subtle and, and useful and manipulative, skillful in manipulating these concepts. However, thinking about something needs to be recognized as entirely different from that which we're thinking about. The concept of clinging is not clinging. The concept of caring is not caring. I've heard people uh, give very, you know, speak very eloquently about emotional intelligence, but they don't really strike me as being very available as uh, human beings. Or I've even been you know, very passionately invited to participate in, in non-violent communication, which you know, the, the theory was there, but the, um, the experience didn't seem to quite match um, yeah. so we can have very clever concepts but 
it doesn't necessarily undo the conundrum that we feel caught in. And this is important, so if we're going to investigate this conundrum, we need to be very careful. We're not just using thinking. Thinking won't cut it. Thinking is an approximation. It's, It's very initial. It's a very initial approximation. You know, it's, it's about the same thing as a, as like a, a, a photograph. Mm-hmm. You can have a really good camera and take a photograph of a mango, and then you import it to Photoshop and you know, add some highlights and tweak the contrast and then print it out on a really really high quality laser printer and then that is a beautiful mango so no it's not (laughs) it's not a mango it's not a mango certainly wouldn't eat it we wouldn't eat it because we're clearly alert to the reality that that is an approximation that as a photograph of mango, we still go, oh, that's a beautiful mango. Mm. Or the architecture in Rome, beautiful architecture in Rome. But that photograph of the beautiful architecture in Rome, you don't experience, I think it was 43 degrees the other day in Rome. The air quality is not that great in Rome. And the language, you, maybe you don't even understand the language in Rome. You can't get around. And, and I read recently they're about to turn the water off in Rome. And, uh, a third of the population is going to be without drinking water for eight hours of the day. Eh? The experience of Rome is very different from a great big classy photograph of Rome. That is not Rome. That is a, a very, very small window for perceiving the reality of Rome. The reality that is caring or the reality that is clinging or suffering or attachment are very different from the concepts we have about these realities. Remember what Socrates was saying when the alphabet was recently invented and people started writing down uh, information. He was very critical and said this is going to cause problems. People are going to think they know something because they know about something. Well, we've been emphasising this aspect of knowing for a long time in our culture. But we're not as clever when it comes to consuming concepts and ideas as we are when it comes to understanding photographs of mangoes. We consume our concepts and so we wonder why they tend to get us more tangled and don't resolve. In other words, the investigation into a conundrum like this, the question of can we care without clinging? Yeah. Needs to be much more subtle. Yeah. We need to turn to the tools we've got in our spiritual toolkit or cultivate the tools 
add to the tools, develop the tools so that we can investigate this predicament of why does suffering arise out of something so beautiful? Investigate it in a way that produces real results. And the result we're looking for is the kind of understanding, the kind of recognition of the reality that resolves the conundrum. That's the point of the contemplation, to resolve the suffering. Now in terms of the contemplative skills, we're not just interested in following the activity of mind, we're interested in letting go of the feeling of being identified as the activity of the mind. In the beginning, we don't even know that's a possibility. We have the idea that if we let go of thinking, that we're going to disappear. If we stop trying to solve this conundrum, then there's no resolution. That's giving up. That's abdication. That's being irresponsible. We've got to keep thinking. Otherwise, we won't solve it. We've got to keep thinking. Otherwise, we'll disappear. Well, thankfully, there are many people who've walked this path before us and know that that's absolutely not true. At the time I was living with my first teacher, Ajahn Tate, and he was speaking about such matters to to the, the lay people gathered for on the moon night and, and explaining what he meant when he gave instruction on meditation of stop thinking about your family, mm. stop thinking about your loved ones, stop thinking about your children, and don't be intimidated by the fear that arises that when you stop thinking about them, they, that you don't care about them anymore. Or when you stop thinking about them, they're going to disappear. Mm. That's, Ajahn Tate was explaining, is, is the forces of delusion. That's Mara that tends to make us think like that. Mm. If our only experience to mangoes is a photograph, that's really a great pity. If our only perception of clinging and caring is conceptual, that's unfortunate. It's not very subtle. Mm. We're not going to get very far. We're not going to get very far in changing our relationship so we can see the actuality of clinging. What actually is clinging? Can we be there in the moment when it's happening? Well, for that to occur, we need a sense of the space of the mind or the silence or the stillness, whatever term works as a suggestion to let go of the activity. If we're identified as the object of the mind, which is clinging to this feeling of beauty that arises with caring, if we're identified as that object, then we can't really see it. We need to let go of it. But what's there when we let go? We're afraid there's going to be nothing there. Well, Our teachers have told us that there's plenty there much more there. We can afford to experiment with this letting go and view the experience of caring or view the experience of clinging with a different perspective. 
we can cultivate this different perspective. This is wise reflection. So these are the tools in our spiritual toolkit we're using, mindfulness, presence, attentiveness, sense restraint, not just immediately reacting and following sense impressions, and wise reflection, aiming at, aiming at the shift in relationship to this conundrum. So we see it in a new way, we see it in a fresh way. And then maybe there's a a new level of understanding, a new appreciation of this dynamic. So our cultivation of contemplation and meditation is aimed at a new relationship to experience. It's not just trying to have another experience. We're not just trying to imitate uh, caring without attachment. We're investigating the reality of attachment. Mm. Mm. I think I've spoken before about uh, experience I had here on meditation retreat we were on when we had made an exception to uh, our monastic retreat routine and, and allowed a guest to come and join us on our retreat and as it happened this guest wasn't particularly mindful about how they moved around during meditation and, and I can remember sitting up here in the front of the Dhamma Hall facing the shrine and one meditation period and, and this particular guest uh, started moving got off the stool they were sitting on and clunked down onto the wooden floor and mm. in that moment as I recall it there was enough presence enough sense restraint enough perspective to recognise that as I was about to become irritated by the guest there's a recognition that you've got a choice the sound is there mm. and I'm not deaf so so hear it but do you have to become irritated do you have to follow do you have to act on that impulse it's not an obligation likewise attachment to the beauty that arises with the perception of caring We don't have to cling to it. And because we don't cling to it, it doesn't mean to say it disappears. So cultivating the shift in perspective, it's perhaps worth mentioning the benefit of using contrast, the element of contrast in our practice. Just like when children grow up, they benefit from contrasting stimuli from different colours. Parents know intuitively whether they've studied child psychology or not. Parents have a sense that children are going to learn, they're going to benefit from being subjected to contrasting elements, colours, textures, environments. The intelligence prospers when this happens skillfully 
Well, likewise in our inner explorations and the cultivation of uh, uh, our skill and using the tools in our spiritual toolkit, right? we benefit from contrasting perspectives, you know, looking closely when the mind is really still, if you can experience the mind when it's still, when we let go of the coarse level of thinking and, and the activity quietens down, if you have that experience and then look more closely at what's really going on, we get a whole new level of information, a whole new level of data that we can work with. Yeah. But if all we get is stillness, you know, some people, some meditators get attached to the pleasurable feeling that arises with stillness. And, but too much stillness, too much tranquility, that's also got its, its side effects. It can, it can breed um, uh, arrogance and sense of superiority and uh, becomes an obstruction. Too much activity of mind when the mind is too busy, too active. It's going to have the consequence of keeping perceptions at a very superficial level. You can't see beyond the way things appear to be. You can't see deeply. can't see with sensitivity. can't explore with a feeling investigation. The kind of investigation that's needed for dealing with this conundrum of caring and uh, without clinging, if that's possible, is to take place in a feeling way. In the beginning we're not familiar with that. We think that investigation involves thinking. Also there's investigation... It's much more subtle than that. So we use the meditation objects, you know, whether it's the cultivation of mindfulness of breathing or my own personal preference, if I'm to do formal meditation, would be to use the sound of silence. And using the sound of silence, which you know, probably many of you are familiar with. Uh, if you're not, then not everybody can hear it, but many people can. It's... Uh, I imagine if it was an image, if I was to generate an image that uh, reflects the sound of silence, it's like you know the if you're looking at the leaves on a on a grove of aspen trees in autumn, and those leaves, those leaves, those shimmering leaves are all silver. Those shimmering silver leaves on a grove of aspen trees, that high pitched high-frequency sound that you can hear between your ears, that we refer to as the sound of silence. That uh, When you first start hearing it, what's been there all the time? Why didn't I notice it before? Well, space has been here all the time, but we we don't necessarily stop to think about space, that objects arise and cease in, or the silence that's it's there that the sounds of our mind arise and cease. So we can use these meditation objects like mindfully attending to the sound of silence or 
mindfully attending to the, the rhythm of the in and out breath. And, Produces a shift in perspective. You know, I, I could be, I could be talking right now, and I'm talking and hear my voice, and at the same time hear the sound of silence. There's a shift in perspective on my voice, on my thinking. And sitting on my own, I can listen to the sound of silence, listen to the thinking, and get a new perspective. Hmm on the thinking. Let go of identification with the activity of the mind. Start to intuit the possibility of not thinking, of stillness, of spaciousness. So when we start to have this kind of an experience, well then we're much better equipped to investigate the reality of clinging or attachment and start to get to see that it's something that we're doing We actively perform clinging and we don't have to do it. And then start to consider the possibility of caring without attachment. Now this is, again, I emphasize an investigation, a contemplation. It's not something that we can convince ourselves uh, merely by arguing. Mm. with ourselves but if we start to see in a somewhat more subtle mode the activity of our heart Mm. when there's caring when there's not caring or the thoughts and association with that in our minds Mm. realise that we've got a lot more freedom in this than we thought we had In the beginning, when we're identified as the activity of our hearts and minds, we often feel enslaved, entrapped by all the activity. But if we exercise cultivating skill with our mindfulness, sense restraint, wise reflection, we can start to see that we can change this relationship. Maybe it's possible to really care without being afraid of getting attached. Whether it's possible or not is not something we need to speculate about, but it is something that we can investigate. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.